So I, I was thinking today, um, I just want to celebrate one thing. I think sometimes we miss opportunities to celebrate. And um, I look back over my shoulder a few minutes ago as we were singing together, and I, I noticed there were like three moms in the corner of my eye all holding their kids and singing with their kids. And so I, I think sometimes we miss like those glimpses of really good things. And so for me, it put a smile on my face this morning because we desperately want to be a church that says kids are always welcome here from the youngest to the oldest. Um, because even in the oldest people in this room are still kids. Um, you just don't move like it anymore. But I was thinking about this idea. Have you ever been tempted by something in some way, shape, or form? And, and um, right, maybe you're wrestling with inner demons, like these things that you just are tough with, and, and you're trying to not be tempted by something, but it keeps on happening. In fact, I was thinking this week how um, I wrote this line. So the irony was I wrote this line, and then this actually happened. So... Um, I wrote in my line that I'll be tempted, I'm, I'm trying to fast like sweets during Lent, because um, it's just probably a good practice in general, but, but I, I decided I was going to do that, and so I gave up sweets, and so I said, that, you know what's going to happen, I'm going to have someone invite me to meet them for coffee to want to talk, and they're going to pick the Grand Traverse Pie Company as the place that they want to go, because like they have really good cinnamon rolls or pie or anything, it's all good. Sure enough, I literally got a text message within about an hour of that. Someone going, hey, can you meet me for coffee? How about the pie company? I hate you. No, um, actually, the worst thing was yesterday. We, we took a group of fourth through sixth graders to Indianapolis for this preteen event uh, Friday and Saturday. And so thank Pastor Holly. She was the one who sacrificed and worked incredibly hard. She even slept in the room with kids, and I took a bedroom um, by myself. Um, like I said, she sacrificed. I went. Um, but there was, we were at this mall, and, and I don't know if they have them in malls here. It's actually a mall that still had stores. But, but we took the kids there to play a game, and they had Blondie's cookies. I don't know if those ever existed in Michigan, but they were a thing in Indiana, and they are incredible. And I kept walking by that place and looking. And so um, we've all been tempted by something, right? And those are kind of funny things to joke about. And I said, I'm going to give it up for the season of Lent for the 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. And I said 40 days in particular because I'm not sure. I think I'm going to include feast days, right? Do you know how fasting works if you choose to fast? Um, Some people, some churches will buy into that Sundays are called feast days. That's why it's 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. So if you give up stuff from Lent, you're like, oh, so on Sunday I can splurge. It's called a feast day, but you can also fast it either way. Totally up to you. But like I said, at least 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. And this is the season of Lent. The time we go from Ash Wednesday where we celebrate or lament the reality in which we believe in a God who suffered with us and that life is precious and short. We put on these imposition of ashes this past Wednesday as a marker to say, hey, God, I want to be marked by you in my life. I want to live for you. I want to be defined by that. And so we enter into this season, and some of you are asking this question, why would I fast anything? It's a good question, right? I mean, why would I choose to do that? And the truth is we fast because we hope that when we long for these particular things, that just maybe we'll begin to long for God in the same kinds of ways. That just maybe when I long for a meal, if I've chose to fast some meals, or if I long for a cup of coffee, God bless you all who do that, right? Like, whatever you've fasted, that you would 
when you long for that, you would say, God, help me to long for you in the way I would desire whatever it is I've given up. And so, like, the truth is some of you, some of us will give up stuff that's not that hard, not really that valuable in terms of fasting. Um, it's this kind of interdiscipline in which we say, hey, I want to be reshaped in a new way. I want to rely on other things. And so here's why we would fast. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. It's designed to help us enter into deeper reliance and relationship with God. Deeper reliance and relationship with God. In fact, Jesus practiced fasting. Right? Jesus fasted. And um, like Jesus, most of us are probably tempted in our times of fasting. Right? When we're, we're fasting, it's tempting. Right? Like, I... I told you, I probably could walk by that cookie place yesterday a dozen times another day and wouldn't have thought twice about it. I mean, I thought, oh, I might want to get one of those today. But when you say you're not going to do something and then you see it again and again and again, it gets a little harder, right? What is that? The truth is, temptation is a reality for all of us that all of us are tempted. Whether you've chosen to follow Jesus, whether you've Follow Jesus your whole life, whether you just decided to follow Jesus, temptation is a reality that we all have to wrestle with. All of us. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey. And your temptation may change, right? It may change over time. It may begin to look different. But sometimes our temptation, what are, what are temptations that we probably may struggle with, right? That we begin to see people not as people, but as objects of our lusts. To fill our own fantasies in our own minds? The temptation? A temptation is to covet what our neighbors have. To not only go, oh, that's cool that they have that, but to go, oh, it's cool they have it, but I want it, and I don't know that I want them to have it because I want it. Or we trample over people to get to what we want, whether it's in work or school or athletics, right? We try to remove them from our, they're an obstacle in our way, and so we want to trample them to get to where we want to go. We'll cut corners in business or with our finances or even our taxes, right? We're going to cut every corner I can because I want to, if I can, if it's a little shady, if it's a little gray, it's okay, right? We cut corners or we do other things. We embellish our stories to make ourselves look better. Or we gossip about the other person to make them sound worse and us feel better, right? We, we do all these things. We think more highly or more lowly of ourselves. We're tempted in these ways. These are all temptations. Sometimes they go from temptations to things that we have actually done. And other times they are temptations. On and on the list goes. And here is the reality. Temptation is unavoidable. Temptation is unavoidable. So what's that mean for us? Is there any good news in the midst of temptation? Yes. In fact, the text we're going to look at today from Luke chapter 4 models for us what happens in the midst of temptation and how Jesus overcomes temptation and the invitation for us to enter into that same story. See, this particular story of Jesus um, is in three of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's in all three of them. And it's the same story happens after the same event. Jesus has been baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, and the skies open up, and he hears these words, This is my son whom I love. With you I am well 
pleased. Right? God speaks to him and says, listen, you're my kid and I love you and I'm like super proud of you. You're doing some awesome stuff. Keep it up. And he goes from this euphoric spiritual moment to what we see next is this temptation. And I think, honestly, the reason that it's depicted that way in the scriptures is because that's what happens in our lives. We have moments of spiritual highs, euphoric moments, these moments where it's like, God, I don't think we could be any closer. And the next day you're like, oh, can we be farther away? Right, that's kind of my prayer for those fourth through sixth graders. They had this awesome moment this weekend that, that not only they have this awesome moment this weekend, but like it won't be like, well, it's Monday, school starts. It's kind of how we feel. And Jesus was no different. So here's what we see from Luke chapter four. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you were the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to, if you worship me. It will all be yours. Jesus answered, It's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. There's a whole lot of things that happen in this story. But let's begin with one that I think probably matters. It says Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was filled with the very presence of God. So even intimately connected to God, we may still have moments of struggle or temptation in fact, um, Jesus also went into the wilderness. And so if you, if you spend much time in the Old Testament, there's, we begin to understand the wilderness becomes a place of like spiritual formation. The Israelites went to the wilderness. Moses was in the wilderness, right? Then God called to him and this burning bush, right? All these moments, the wilderness becomes this place of deep spiritual formation. And so into the wilderness, Jesus goes to be deeply formed in relationship with his father. And he goes connected to the father's spirit. And I know most of us don't like the idea of wilderness moments, these moments kind of, uh, and I don't mean like camping, like I'm wilderness, I mean like feeling like you are deserted at one level. The wilderness was rough and difficult and hard, and Jesus goes to this place, and it is a place of formation for him. Right? The wilderness in our lives, um, they're not to be avoided, but embraced as an opportunity for growth. We don't avoid wilderness moments in our life. We lean into them and trust that God is gonna be at work shaping and molding us to look more and more like his son. And we see Jesus model for us this invitation to live this particular kind of obscure way of life. But we also see in this story that this is where we know Jesus was like us. Can you imagine 
fasting for 40 days. I've gone three before a couple times. Super hard for me. That's long. That's 72 hours. I had a professor in college who fasted 40 days a few different times in his life, um, but even he would, like, begin to mix in juice with water because he, like, needed the nutrients. And so, like, they're, they're, it's doable. Or some of you are going, can you do this? The answer is yes, you can. Um, but I would say do it with purpose and, like, do it for spiritual formation if you're going to. And you don't have to jump into 40. You kind of work your way up to this. But Jesus hops right in. And so can you imagine being hungry? And in the desert where he was, it would have looked like some of the rocks would have looked like bread. And so this temptation um, was to, to turn the rock into bread. And, and, and I don't know, have you ever, have you ever been in the place where you have uh, maybe been so thirsty or so hungry that like you begin to see things? Um, so I, I try to fast occasionally. Um, at least like once a week for at least a couple meals and, and on pretty good days. And so I, I last summer had done that, but the issue was I didn't drink enough water. You still can drink water. Water is still an important thing to, to drink, right? Um, and so I decided after work, I was going to go run seven miles. Our kids were with my in-laws, so I went out to run, and my wife and I were going to go to dinner that night, and so that was going to be the break the fast. But I, like I said, I didn't eat, and I didn't drink enough water. That was actually the problem, not the food. And so as I'm like finishing this run, I'm like, okay, i got a half mile until I'm home. And the road was, it was hot. Like, it was like in the high 80s and humid. And I, the road was kind of like hazy. Have you ever seen that, where the road gets kind of fuzzy? Um, that's not a great thing. That's a lack of water, not a lack of food, by the way, uh, for me. But, but I'm thinking if Jesus went 40 days, and in the desert, he probably was drinking water. But there's not a lot of it there. And so to see this opportunity to be tempted in this way, if you'll just, if you'll just turn the stone to bread your stomach will stop growling. Right, and in my head, I I think about, you know, maybe your grandma used to make homemade bread, and you'd smell it, like that smell that kind of fills the house where it's like, ooh. I don't mean like the stinky subway smell. I mean like like good bread where you're like, oh, that's incredible. And I can only imagine if I'm Jesus in that moment smelling those kinds of things. And it's as if... um, the first temptation not only is that, but it's this question. Can I get you to question who you are? If, if you are the son of God, right? Your father just told you who you were, but if you're really that, then you could turn this stone to bread. If you really are this, does God really love you? And for you and I, maybe I'd say it this way. Um, if you're really a follower of Jesus... If God really loves you, he'd want you to have this, so why are you not doing this? In other words, if you will validate yourself. I mean, it's not that big of a temptation, right? The guy is hungry. I would be. And this is the temptation even when we fast, to end the fast before, like we've kind of entered into a conversation with God about, because if I end it early, it's, it's like, well... It'll be okay. God doesn't really care. It's the temptation to kind of cut the corner. He's tempted um, to allow his appetite to outweigh his desire for connection to God. This is his temptation. And the truth is many of us struggle with gluttony, consuming too much. 
Some of you are going, well, not me. I'm pretty good. I watch what I eat. I'm, okay, well, let's, let's change the definition of what you think of when I talk about gluttony. Um, we consume too much stuff. Clothes, cars, houses, money. We have insatiable sexual appetites, whether it's porn or promiscuity. We consume too much. It's never enough. So Jesus' first temptation is that you just don't have enough, Jesus. If you just had more, if you just had this, we consume and we consume and we consume, and it's just never going to be enough. And so Jesus responds to this temptation, according from Deuteronomy 8, man does not live on bread alone. Okay, good talk. Right? I, I think this scene, by the way, was probably not all the temptations in one singular moment, because that's actually not that tempting, if we're honest. If I got tempted by everything at once... I could probably walk away from all of one time, but my guess is over the period of these 40 days, he's being tempted. And the second temptation comes, and it's a, we might be dismissive for you and I, because honestly, I'd be dismissive of it too. He's offered, he's taken to the highest place, right? Most think it's probably just this vision that he had, because in Jerusalem, you can't see the whole world from Jerusalem, but, but he's just this vision of the whole world, and Satan goes, ah, it's all yours, do you want all the kingdoms of the world? I will make it so every person bows down to you. And Jesus has come. He's already preached this particular message where he said, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. I'm it. And this temptation, Jesus, you know the way that your father has for you. You know it's going to be really hard, right? Sacrifice, laying down your life, giving yourself up for the sake of others. If you'll just... Worship me, you can get to the same ends. All the kingdoms of the world will be yours. People will follow you. If you'll just compromise, if you'll just compromise just a little bit, right? You can still get what you want. You can still get what you want in the end, right? It's this idea, though, that I think is so powerful for us that I think matters in the world in which we live today. The devil in this text offers what he has to give. Otherwise, it's not a temptation. Do you get that? So how do we describe that in our world? That means every nation or kingdom of the world, no matter how good, is ruled by the principalities and powers. All of them. We see what happens when they get greater. It's happening in Ukraine right now. So what do we do with that? In fact, I would point back to a text in Jeremiah. The prophet did a good job of telling the people, how do you live in the middle of this? What do you do? Well, he talked to them when they were in exile in Babylon. He said, here's what you do. You work for the good of the place that you live. You build vineyards. You have families. You carry on the next generation. You pass on the faith because the reality is the principalities and powers of darkness are at work in the world. And no matter how good the empire, it is still a Babylon. Otherwise, this is not a temptation of Jesus. And so you and I are called to live as exiles in a land that is not our home, to be followers of Jesus in a world that doesn't follow him. And so maybe you're like, well, that's a kind of a big thing up there. That's not really helpful for me in this. Well, maybe I begin to say it this way. Um, what if, what if, what if we buy into this idea? The ends justify the means. 
This is a temptation for you and I. We'll go, well, I want this outcome because this is a really good outcome. So how do I get to the outcome doesn't seem to matter much. So the ends justify the means, but in the kingdom of God, that's just not true. Jesus brings about his kingdom through his purposes, and you and I are invited in to follow that. So for followers of Jesus, the ends never justify the means. The means are the ends. How we live matters. You don't get to cut corners and go, well, I'm doing it for the kingdom. It's just for Jesus. Jesus didn't cut any corners and it led him to a cross. And you and I are invited to follow in the same way. But how does Jesus combat his temptation? What does he do? How does he respond? And again, we see he responds with scripture. He says this, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, for the second time, he's tempted and he responds by quoting scripture, right? Uh, he wants us to know we can't serve two masters. And some of you go, well, I don't serve anyone. I only serve myself. Well, then that is your master, you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm really honest about myself, I wouldn't follow me either, <laughs> right? We're not for the grace of God who knows what I would be like. And maybe you've tried to live your life and your own agenda and your own plan and you keep ending up in the same thing, repeat and repeat and repeat. For some of us, it comes from cycles of brokenness over and over again in our families, among our friendships, in the workplace, we go from job to job to job or marriage to marriage to marriage. And we go, oh, those people. And we never look in the mirror and recognize that, man, maybe I'm the problem. And then we see this moment where he's at the peak of the temple. There's a particular spot in the temple where if you look down in the Kedron Valley, it's 450 feet down. And so he's tired. And so he, this glimpse, everything always points back to Jerusalem all throughout the Gospels. And, and, and what we begin to see here is this temptation. Hey, if you'll just kind of jump off here. The angels, they will get you. And I gotta be honest with you, like, that doesn't tempt me at all. I don't like heights. Like, the idea of jumping 450 feet, those people are crazy. I'm not bungee jumping. I'm not jumping out of an airplane. Zero chance, unless it's literally crashing, and then I might. Otherwise, I still don't know. So it's not that great of a temptation to me, but it's this idea that, what, here is an easier path, Jesus. People will follow you. They will see this this extravagant event, this incredible entertaining thing, and they will be wooed by you, and they'll lean in, and they'll follow you, and they'll commit to you if you will just do this. If you'll just have pride that you really are the Son of God, and He really will protect you. But that's not what happens. And Jesus responds in this way. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But before He could respond in that way, the devil quotes Scripture to Jesus which I always think is fascinating for us to understand, right? The devil quotes scripture to Jesus, and you're like, well, okay, what's the point of that? Um, don't miss this. Our goal is never for you just to know the scriptures. Our goal is to know the one the scriptures point to. You can memorize the entire Bible and not know Jesus. It's also why we think the context of the scriptures matters so much. Like I said, the devil quotes the scripture to Jesus, but he quotes it out of context. 
And so what about for you and I? What if we begin to know the scriptures and we lean in and we know them well, but we understand who they're written to and what they're written for and what was going on around them. And so we begin to memorize those things, but we know what they mean, not just what the words are. Right? The devil knew the words, but he didn't know the Father in the way that Jesus did. And then it ends with this line that I don't love, right? And it says the devil left him until an opportune time. In other words, even for Jesus, there was never a time he wasn't tempted. He was always tempted. But we see a glimpse of how Jesus combated temptation. I think for us is the answer as well. We combat temptation with the Holy Spirit and with Scripture. We combat temptation with the Holy Spirit and with Scripture, right? Um, and here's the good news, right? You're like, is there any good news today other than, like, we're going to keep getting tempted. It's really hard. Got it. Great. Thank you. I already knew that. Didn't need any help with that one. But what if this is the good news that we can overcome temptation because Jesus overcame temptation? Temptation is unavoidable. It is unavoidable. But we get to choose our response to temptation. And if we'll choose God's spirit and choose the words of the scriptures, what we might begin to find is we can overcome those temptations that seemed insurmountable before. So you're going, okay, is that it? No, it's not. And here's why. Do you ever wonder how we have this story? The story of Jesus' temptation? He's by himself. Because he told people about it. He told his disciples, hey, listen, I may be the one that you're looking to. I may be the one you're following, but I'm struggling too. Right? Have you ever noticed how sometimes it feels like if you're a part of a church or a group, it's like, man, um, does anyone else, I must be the only one who's tempted. I must be the only one who struggles. I must be the only one who's gone through difficult things. I must be the only one who struggles with lust or consuming too much money, or I, str- I must be the only one who has these struggles. It must just be me, because everyone else sounds so perfect. No, they're dishonest. Jesus was incredibly honest and authentic, right? He models authentic, he models an authentic, authentic life to the Father. Jesus modeled authenticity and vulnerability. Gosh, like, I, I get so frustrated. Um, so I, I really want people who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus because I think it changes everything. But I sometimes get frustrated when I hear a bunch of churchy language. I'm just going to say it that way. Like, you're like, weren't you the pastor? Yes, I still don't like it. Sometimes we say things that are true, but they're not helpful. Here's what I mean, like, we talk about God blessing our lives. It's probably true, but it's not helpful to the person who's wrestling with wondering about faith. They don't know what you mean by that. Do you mean God gave you more money? Did God, like, describe what you mean. Do you mean. Did you enter into a relationship with God and it, his peace because of his presence changed your life? That's real. Talk about that. Right? Where else in the world? And I, at one level, I don't want to be, so hear, hear me rightly today. We want to recognize there's something unique about the community of faith and the people of God. We believe that, that God's people become this unique family, and so sometimes we, 
we, we see things like, oh, that's my brother in Christ, that's my sister. Like, we are part of the same family. But, but if we say that to people who aren't yet followers of Jesus and don't understand what the heck we're saying, it is not helpful. It is scary. And so you're going like, oh, hmm. Yes, it is. Trust me. They tell me. Right? One of the things, if you're new with us, you're a guest here, like, one of my invitations always is I'd love to get a cup of coffee with you. And, and I ask, like, has anything been weird when you attend church? And like, yeah, this person said this. I'm like, oh, that is weird. Right? That, Let's eliminate as much of the weird as we can because at the end of the day, we believe in a God who came in the form of a man who lived and died and rose again and offers new life. That story in and of itself is incredibly hard to swallow, but we believe it's true. So let's not make it even harder for people with weird words. But at the end of the day, we believe this story about the temptation of Jesus points for us a new model. It points that he was authentic in who he was, and he was vulnerable with those people close to him. Just this week, I met with a group of area pastors, and one of the parts of our conversation was, what are you struggling with? What are your temptations in ministry? And we just talked about it. And so here's my challenge for you. Don't be afraid to share your temptation, because sometimes we've gotten the definition of sin and temptation. We've gotten them mixed up. To be tempted by something doesn't mean you committed any kind of sin. It doesn't. Jesus was tempted. He didn't do anything wrong. He thought about it for a second or else we would have even known this happened. He's like, that's not who I want to be. It's not who I was created to be. That's not who I am. I am the son of God. I am the one who's come to save people from their sins and I will not walk in that way. And so for you and I, to be tempted is not wrong. Some of you are going... Thank goodness, because I feel like I'm tempted all the time, and you probably are. But the good news of Jesus is this, that we don't have to succumb to the temptation. No matter what it is, no matter how big it is, because too often we have bought into the me and Jesus model. We've said, you know what, it's just going to be enough. Just Jesus and I, we'll take care of it. We'll work it out. No, you won't. Neither will I. Me and Jesus is not sufficient for our spiritual development or growth. That's why Jesus shares his temptations. He too needed the work of the Spirit. He needed others to know that they could walk in the ways with him. And when are we tested? We're likely tested at the point in which it matters to us. In our vocation, in our life. Jesus was authentic and vulnerable, but we're tested in the things that matter most to us. So I could say, right, like I, some of you, man, you have wrestled demons and you've overcome addiction to alcohol and you're in certain places you can't go. I don't have that temptation. I've got other ones. I've jokingly used this phrase that again and again, I'll use it forever. I think every guy between 6 and 96 probably struggles with lust at some level. You can choose to turn from that and walk away from that, or you can choose to act like it's not true and not find freedom. Some of us, man, we, we like to work. I'm just, gonna, just one more hour. I'll, I'll be home in one more hour. I'm just going to take that one more shift of overtime because I have to have that money. I know gas prices went up, but sometimes your kids need to see you and your spouse needs to see you and your friends need to see you, and you need to say no. Speaking to myself here, by the way. Right? These are real for us. And see, the truth is, temptation appeals to us. Right? Temptation appeals to us. It's like a twisted truth. It's like, it's kind of true. 
right? It's parts of it are true, but it's just twisted just enough that it becomes broken. And, and we can usually justify what we do because it's not like it's that bad. It's just a little bit off-center. It's just, just a little bit off-target. It's just a little bit, but that's where the difference of sin and temptation comes in. Temptation is to be tempted to do something. Sin is to actually do it. And so what if you and I found freedom in coming to know Jesus? What if this? What if we began to recognize we overcome temptations the same way that Jesus did through the Scriptures and through the work of His Spirit? And what if we entered into honest, authentic, vulnerable relationships with other people, men and women in our lives, people we maybe come to know? Maybe you just grab a person sitting next to you like, hey, like, I've seen you at church before. Um, I need someone in my life to be in my corner. Will you... You do that? And you're like, that's a pretty big ask. Yeah, it is, but I bet you they'd say yes. Because they probably need it too. So I, I don't want us to miss today one of the things that happens in this text that began in the beginning of the text. It said, Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the most powerful things that we can find all throughout the scriptures is that God desperately desires to enter into relationship with you and I in a way that is life-changing and life-giving so that even when death comes, it never really enters in so that we can live with the very presence of God with us here and now, no matter what we go through. It's what we, we say this, that God's Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, God's presence, the presence of the divine wants to be an intimate relationship connected to you in such a way that you are so radically changed that when you think and speak and act, you sense the very presence of God with you in all that you do, no matter what you're going through, when you're in the wilderness, when you're tempted, when you're not, that you sense God's spirit is still present with you and you are filled by the very presence of God. This is the invitation that Jesus gives. He says, if you'll follow me, if you will choose to live your life following after me, then I will give you my spirit. And so my question is actually pretty simple today. Have you decided to follow Jesus? And if you have, are you willing to trust that the very presence of God can be with you here and now, in this moment, every moment for the rest of your life? I promise you, temptation will still come. But I promise you, you can know the one who overcomes even the temptation. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that was present with him in the wilderness, that same spirit can be present with you and I. And it just might change everything. But sometimes we have to be honest about where we are and what we need. So throughout the season of Lent, a couple things are going to happen. Um, in the back, there's a, a cross, and it's got little um, nails on it. And so you can probably notice there was on your seat as you came in, um, there's a little card. You're like, oh, I just thought someone left an empty card on my seat. They did, right? Intentionally. Because for some of us, we need tangible steps object, lesson, something to do. And so I, I want you to think seriously about writing a sin or a temptation, or both. And whether it's this moment or another day, um, a bunch of nails on the cross in the back, and so you would just put that on the cross. A tangible expression of saying, God, I'm struggling with this. I need help with this. I want to overcome this. I'm wanting to say, I need you to take it. Now, I, that's the first step. The second step is I would challenge you to find a person, an actual human being that you can talk to and say, here's what I put there. I need to let this go. This temptation, this addiction, this sin, 
this broken part of my life. And so I not only want to trust it to Christ and his cross and believe that his death can be enough for it, but I want to live a new way. And I don't want this to define me any longer. And this morning also, I want to mention we're going to take communion. And so we, we, have, we practice what we call open table. Like anybody can come. What you're saying by coming to the table is this, that I believe Jesus is Lord. And here's the other thing you're saying, right, that we talk about every time we take communion, that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And you notice that first line always is this, um, on the night he was betrayed. In other words, these guys didn't just get tempted, they, they sinned. And we're invited to this table that says, hey, listen, you come to this table, you recognize your own sinfulness, that you're a mess, but we believe in a God who redeems us so we don't have to live as a mess any longer. That we can be so filled with the Spirit that His grace can be sufficient for our life, that the old patterns don't have to be the new patterns, but we get to come to His table as reminders of the goodness of God, that in our wilderness moments, in our moments of temptation, in moments when we have had spiritual highs, where we've overcome temptation, that God's spirit is with us. His grace is sufficient. And God loves us where we are. And then, just like Jesus heard as he came out of the water after his baptism, just maybe, just maybe through the act of communion together, we hear these words. This is my son. This is my daughter. Whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Temptation is unavoidable, but we can know the one who can help us to overcome all temptations. We think there's something unique about the way God invites us to a table that always has one more seat. No matter how big it may be, that there's always room for one more, and you and I are invited to live lives in which, by God's grace, we keep extending that table. Because we never know when we might need to be invited for a seat. We might feel like we are so far away that we don't, we don't know if we fit any longer, but yet the grace of God invites us to keep coming. And so this morning, that is the hope we have. That even though we know it's just bread and juice and there's nothing in it that's really tangible, that God comes near anyway. It's His grace that says to us, I know where you have been, I know what you have done, but you are mine and I love you. Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. We ask that you might help us to accept your grace as free gift. That we might know we get to come to your table as your unique people. That we get to be so changed by who you are. That we might live as a reflection of your son in this world. And may we be people who are known by our graciousness, by our hope, by our mercy, by our justice. We people who are known as reflections of Jesus. May we live in such a way that when people see us, they see your son. May we learn to be honest and vulnerable and authentic in the way that he was. And Father, we pray all this in your son Jesus' name.